0: This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. The Humanities Symposia is sponsored by the Humanities and Communication Department at Trine University. It provides a chance for scholars to share their current research with students and the wider community. Today's speaker is Patrick Ridout, a comic scholar, and a librarian at Trine University. He graduated from Indiana University with degrees in English literature and English writing and a master's in library science and information science. His talk is titled, Hammers, Superheroes, and Apocalyptic Weapons, Norse Mythology in Comics. All right. Well, thank you all for coming. My name is Patrick Redout. We are here to talk a little bit about Norse mythology here. Um, we're only going to cover a few simple parts. Some of you may already expect what I'm actually going to cover. Uh, but if I covered everything, we would be here for six hours, and nobody wants to hear me talk for six hours on comics, to be perfectly honest. I don't even want to do that. But, um, so we're going to cover gods. We're going to cover monsters. We're going to cover a little bit on apocalyptic weapons, superheroes, stuff like that. But um, if we were to cover everything, we'd be here forever. So um, just keep that in mind. If there are areas that you're wanting me to talk about and I didn't cover, it, there may be a part two to this eventually. Um, because, again, we could uh, be here all day if I covered everything. So um, let's get, get started. And hopefully this air media holds up. But, um, so we're going to start with a couple of questions. A couple of questions for my research um, in particular. I was looking for how the Norse myth, the Norse pantheon, affected comics and manga as a whole. Um, How Thor, Loki, the rest of the Norse pantheon actually affected it. Um, Why the Norse pantheon as opposed to Greek or Roman or anything else because that's that seems to be the better version, right? The more common version. Um, So why Norse myth and then what effects do the gods and monsters have on comics as a whole? Um, So we've got a couple of objectives here to explore the influence of of, uh, Norse myth and comics explore the Norse myths, uh, why they had such a large influence on the industry as a whole, um, and uh, to understand how gods and monsters are represented in comic form. Um, So, just so we're all on the same page, I am going to cover a little bit about the basics of each god we go over. So you can see the original form and then you can kind of see what they transform into, how they morph um, based around popular culture and different stories. most of these myths come from these works. Uh, we're talking about the Prose Edda, the poetic Edda, Tearfling Saga, Icelandic Sagas, and uh, the Volsung Saga. Um, most of the myths that we're going to cover today, most of the gods, most of the um, villains, some of the monsters out there, are kind of the amalgamation, the common version of these. Because if you read all of these, they contradict each other. Much like any mythology, they all have different things and... You know, sometimes a god is a certain way and sometimes a god is a different way. We're going for the baseline. So any of those kind of iffy issues there, we just kind of threw out. Um, So right off the bat, I can answer why Norse pantheon. Stan Lee stated it in in an interview. He chose Norse myths so he wouldn't get called out. Everyone knew the Greek and Roman mythologies. Everyone knew the Egyptian mythologies. And they went and he went, "I don't want anybody to get after me because I screwed something up." So um, Norse myths, because people were less familiar with them. So um, that's a very easy thing to answer right off the bat. But um, we've got a couple of influences, and I'm going to break it down by um, the West and then uh, Japan and Korea, because they have two different schools of thought, right? The West tends to retell myths in the modern day. They pull characters directly from myths, legends, whatever. But they pull them directly, right? Um, Sometimes they're cobbled together. Again, you have uh, things where um, you have a dozen different myths, and they just kind of pick and choose what they want, and then they smash it together into one particular character. Um, A lot of times you get this one, though, adaptions of characters. They just take the character and then twist them however they really want to so they fit the story, right? It's the same reason why, like, Hades is always a villain in a lot of different stories instead of the kind of, you know, nuanced being that he actually is. Whereas, like, Loki or Thor or Odin or any of those have more nuance to them, but a lot of times they'll just grab what they want and then throw out the rest or twist them a little bit so that they represent something a little different. Uh, Maybe literal interpretations. We do have people who retell like the Volsung saga in comic form. But most of the time they're just kind of adaptions of uh, of those myths. And then talking about manga and manhwa, um, most of the time with manga and manhwa you don't get literal interpretations. There are a few storylines where you have literal interpretations of the myths, but these are a lot more rare. Most of the time you get either mashups or just naming rights. Everybody associates, you know, Ragnarok with the apocalypse, so everything's named the Ragnarok. Or they name some some leader or organization, Odin. Or I mean, I'm sure some of you have heard of like Odin Sphere, the game. So um, that kind of me- methodology is what they use. Uh, mashups are more fun because mashups are somebody heard something and confused it with another group or another mythos. Um, a very common one to see, um, and you'll probably recognize some of the characters in a little bit, but some of the common ones to see, they'll mix Icelandic and Nordic, Nordic myths with Germanic. So they smash them together. Um, you'll get uh, Japanese influences on different things, but in general, because they've kind of got this amalgamation mixing, you get some very interesting and very unique characters uh, out of there. So let's... Dig in. Everybody wants to talk about the gods. Uh, so just as a baseline, the gods we're talking about, pantheon of the northernmost civilization in, in Europe, uh, the Norse pantheon, Nordic for whatever, for whatever reason. Um, they're actual gods as opposed to just you know, semi-gods or demigods gods or whatever. Um, cannot die till Ragnarok. However, this does come with a caveat. They are immortal in the same way that Tolkien elves are immortal, in that they can't die from age, from disease, whatever. They can die if you put a spear through the chest, as we all see in the Balder myth. Um, Most don't interact with humans. A lot of them are more aloof. You get a lot more religion based around qualifications and blessings around you qualified for the blessing of Odin or Thor or whatever. Most of the time, they're not really uh, mixing in with humans. They don't really have time for that. Um, At least not the um, stuff that we've actually interacted with. Um, Now, Marvel and DC are our two big ones, right? Everyone knows Marvel and DC. Marvel and DC are the two kind of responsible for the Western interpretations of these myths, right? Um, Two schools of thought. Marvel rewrites the characters... um, from the original myths into whatever they want. They twist things around, they do whatever they want. DC tries to stick a little more closely to the actual myth itself, but um, this doesn't always work because sometimes they twist it a little too far and it falls off and goes way off the deep end here. Um, and the reason why they do this is uh, that Stan Lee, I think, put it best when he said, you know, having an idea is easy. Making that idea work for people and people to accept it is very difficult you know everyone has ideas but you have to take that idea and make it into something people will respond to and that's hard and this is why um, as a whole Marvel Comics reboots DC Comics reboots you'll see see it all the time Um, people reboot and re change things because something's not working so let's fix it so that people get interested again so the Norse pantheon in DC, very similar to the mythos, right? Except um, it's not really a pantheon. There's only like four characters in it. We've only ever seen like Odin, Thor, Loki. We've, we barely even saw uh, Freya, who's, you know, one of the head honchos of it. Um, sometimes the Valkyries show up, uh, but they're much more in line with the actual gods' myths as opposed to um, what, whatever everyone else does. Um, versus the Asgardians. DC just calls them the Pantheon. Marvel calls them the Asgardians. Everyone's familiar with the Asgardians probably because of the MCU. We'll make reference to that a couple of times. The Marvel Cinematic Universe. Everyone's seen Thor at some point. Um, but the Asgardians as a whole is a race of people instead of just a group of gods. They have leaders, they have generals and kings and princes and whatever, but the Asgardians are the whole race, the you know few thousand people uh, representing them. They all have immort- somewhat shortened immortality, right? Um, they're superhuman, they're not necessarily immortal in the same way that the regular gods are, but they all age uh, slower due to uh, consuming the apples of Erdin, But um, basically, they age at like thousands of years versus our hundred years. So they seem gods to us, and they seem gods to ancient peoples, but really they're just another alien race or another realm race. Um, much stronger. They've actually calculated some of, the, uh, some of the math for this kind of stuff, where um, Asgardians are between 20 and 30 times stronger than a regular human, so they all exhibit you know, massive superpowers. And it's not just Thor. It's everybody, right? Right. Um, And here's the big one. They interfere with humanity on a very regular basis. This is where we get every Marvel story. This is where we get, like, Jane Foster, Foster, you know, um, becoming uh, Thor's lover and friend and everything else. Um, They love interfering with humans. And you can see, as opposed to DC, there's not just four of them, there's about a million of them at this point. They keep pulling as they need people, you know. So you don't just get... Balder, and you don't get Volstag, you get extra ones over and over and over again. So, let's talk about the big one. Everybody knows, I've already mentioned him once, because you can't talk about Norse myth without talking about Thor at this point. Um, Thor is probably more well-known than any other god out there, um, in the Norse pantheon at least. Um, So Thor the myth, who we're talking about? We're talking about the god of lightning, the god of strength, we're talking about the god of fertility, Uh, storms. He's the perfect warrior, right? Here's something you probably don't expect. He's red-haired and red-bearded. Pulled by a chariot, uh, chariot pulled by goats. Serious to a fault. Not above a prank, though. Um, If if it's a prank, it's a good-natured prank. It's not Loki, and we're we're not talking crazy here. Um, He's got a a working man's strength versus a you know noble godlike strength. This is not the god of the MCU, right? In fact, when you talk about DC and I talk about uh, Thor adhering more to the myth, Thor is mu- a much more brutal god uh, than you would expect. You know, he comes down, um, red hair, red beard, comes through, and is basically a force of nature at this point. Um, he's not always a good god. And, in fact, he predates Marvel's Thor. Marvel's Thor shows up in the 60s. This guy shows up in the 50s in comics. So this is one of the very few instances where that particular version of that god shows up first in DC. Um, But he's not always a good god because, unfortunately, this is one of the first introductions we ever had Uh, for Norse myth. He is summoned by Adolf Hitler to kidnap the President and the Prime Minister. He's defeated by the Justice Society. That tells you the age right there. Justice Society before the Justice League. Uh, So, you know, Dr. Fate and Green Lantern before that. But Thor as a whole in DC is not necessarily a good guy. He's just the force of nature you put on the path and that's where he goes. Right? And sure he has an attitude and everything about it, but he's compelled regardless. Uh, so let's move on to the big boy. The one that everybody's here, everybody's already familiar with at least a little bit here, uh, Marvel's Thor. Marvel's Thor, he's different. Remember how I said Marvel likes to kind of twist things around however they want? We no longer have a you know, working man warrior Uh, We now have a warrior god-king for justice. He's always a good guy, right? Blonde-haired, clean-shaven, all-American boy. Kind of contradicts itself a little bit. But um, he's often confused with Odin's appearance. Uh, You'll notice the wings on his helmet that show up a lot um, in a lot of um, his depictions. He has the winged helmet. That's not necessarily a Thor thing. And he has other symbols that get mixed and matched in there. And you'll notice um, throughout this, a lot of these gods trade around different particular aspects. They're not limited to just one. They're basically, this is convenient for the storyline, so we're going to pull it from Odin and give it to Freya. Or, you know, pull Valkyrie in and combine her with something else. And suddenly she has Loki's powers or something like that. So... um, this one's very important. It's always a short hammer. If it's a long hammer, it's usually not Mjolnir. Um, and of course, you can talk about his uh, speech patterns as well. He's got a particularly kingly kind of pseudo Old English style of speaking. Lots of thys and thous and thou art's kind of stuff. Um, and, he, and unfortunately, according to Stanley and Jack Kirby and everyone else, he's hard to write. He's really hard to write, because what do you do with a god? So before we move on, though, and tell you that answer, let's talk about the MCU versus comics, because it's very important to define the fact that these are not the same. Chris Hemsworth's Thor is not the Thor in the comics, unfortunately. He is closest to the Ultimates version, where Thor is still a person. Uh, He can lose his powers, but Thor is a person in the movies, right? And Thor is actually a hammer in the comics. And what I mean by that, it's how they decided to solve the issue of how to write an overpowered character. So the hammer of Thor, Mjolnir, um, side of the hammer carries an inscription, whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall, uh, shall, be, uh, sh- ah, shall possess the power of Thor, right? Uh, side of the hammer carries the inscription, whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Power of Thor is wrapped up in the hammer. What that, that's what that means, right? And we kind of understand that from the MCU, but the reason why that scene in uh, Thor 1 didn't work as well is because they didn't include one major aspect. And I'd like you to meet Dr. Donald Blake. Thor's alter ego. This shows up in the exact same issue that Thor shows up. He has been around as long as Thor. And this is their solution for how to write an overpowered character. Dr. Donald Blake is Thor's alter ego in that he had his memory wiped by Thor. Now, depending on who you ask uh, and what timeline we're talking about, it's a little different as to what reason. Maybe he's hiding from someone. Maybe he lost his powers because he's not worthy anymore. Maybe he just made somebody angry. Um, There are multiple instances of uh, everything for him. But Dr. Blake is basically a scientist who loses all power of Thor. He's actually Thor in a different form. So what that means is that Odin basically wipes his memory, takes away all his powers and wraps all the power including his physical stature, into the hammer. So whoever possesses the hammer literally possesses the power of Thor. Meaning if you're worthy, you can possess the power of Thor, right? So one thing to notice, though, Dr. Donald Blake is, um, has a cane, basically. Depending on which storyline you're looking at, again, it's different. Sometimes he's been shot, sometimes he was sick, Sometimes he was born with it, whatever reason, he's, um, he basically walks with a cane. This cane turns out to be the hammer, shape shifted because that's, that's the way we do it. But this is why um, Thor works, and Thor worked for a very long time. It's how he worked. It's how they got around that whole, oh, he's a god situation. Because if you think about it, if Spider-Man gets thrown through a wall, what happens to Spider-Man? He might break a bone. And now you've got a normal dude, he's superpowered, sure, but he's a normal dude with a broken arm. What happens when you throw a god through a wall? I mean, they made that reference in, uh, what, The Avengers 1, where Thor, literally, or Thor gets punched through a wall and nothing happens, right? How, and so how do you make anything, you know, actually exciting if the god is always just going to show up and smack things down? So how they did that... You take away the hammer. Somebody steals his cane, which Loki does a lot, um, but he becomes powerless in that manner. And you can see here just a few instances of how Thor's morphed over the years a little bit. Um, you know, he's gone from the 1960s all the way till today. Um, and most of you will probably recognize the 1970s version, the Silver Age, probably the most. He's kind of, this is kind of the iconic one, right? Long hair with the tin cap. Um, with the six, piece, the six silver pieces on his black, whatever that is, a singlet or whatever. Um, but that's kind of the standard version, and he's carried on throughout, uh, at least until the 2000s when he started losing those things, and they try, started trying to update things. But, well, is it going to, there it goes. But um, I want to remind you of this, because everyone made a big deal of it in the movies, Right? Whoever possesses the hammer and who's worthy possesses the power of Thor. There was that whole scene in The Avengers 2 where they're all trying to lift the hammer, right? And nobody's worthy, right? Captain America might be worthy. We don't know yet, at least until endgame. But um, nobody's allowed to lift the hammer except for Thor, right? Wrong. Here's a list. Here's everybody who's worthy of uh, carrying the hammer, including the Hulk, Iron Man. Hey, how about Doctor Doom? He's worthy. Deadpool, Squirrel Girl. Um, almost everyone in the MCU at some point or another has been worthy of the hammer to possess the power of Thor, so we've had some interesting crossovers over the years. But let's talk about modern times. Modern times has Thor in three different veins, right? One, we have our master of everything, height of his power is Thor, right? In fact, this, actually, this spread actually comes from a uh, um, storyline called Thor the God Butcher, right? He is at the height of his powers. He's, you know, Thor the Magnificent at this point. Here's the other Thor, and the one you'll be seeing actually show up pretty soon. Um, Jane, uh, Jane Thor, Jane Foster, Fem Thor, however you want to call it, um, this is uh, one of Marvel's pushes for diversity from 2014. Um, so basically Thor loses his powers, but there must always be a Thor, so she picks up the mantle. Now, given that list I just showed you with you know, the 30, 40, 50 names, you'd think this would be a natural kind of thing, right? She, with Marvel's push for diversity, with their push for you know, inclu- including people of different races, religions, sexual orientations, different things like that. Of all the changes they made, if you have the power wrapped up in an item, and the item's what gives you the power, you'd think this is a no-brainer. Whoever picks up the hammer gets the power, right? However, this wound up being one of the most divisive issues in their diversity push. There was so much backlash with this thing. And the reason why is because... The author brought criticism into the story. Unfortunately, she was criticized in the way that some people do. Um, There's always that vocal minority. Everyone always knows that, you know, something changes and someone's upset about it, right? Well, the author decided to respond in the comic to her criticisms. And, you know, talking about, you know, how Thor's... you, You can't be Thor. Thor's the manly man. And has to, you know, talk about, you know, how how, you know, you know manly he is and can't be a female and blah, 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 and all that other stuff. And then um, she also responded with um, his partner actually not fighting her because of girl power, which didn't um, go over well, to say the least. Um, that writer has since been uh, moved on to other projects, but, um, and the writing has um, changed quite a bit. We're not getting that anymore. but. Um, it is something to keep in mind that that controversy exists. And then the third version. I want to talk a little bit about Valkyrie, because you need a little bit of information on Valkyrie. Uh, the Valkyrie, of course, from the original myth, Odin's Chosen Few, they're basically the equivalent of our angels a lot of times. They watch over the best of the best, right? They're the lovers of heroes and you know the guardians of, uh, Asg- of guardians of Valhalla. There we go. Um, so, they're the ones kind of with Odin all the time, right? The other Valkyrie, singular, um, is actually Brunhilde. She's combined with uh, the Brunhilde myths, which may or may not be Nordic, uh, maybe Germanic, we don't quite know. Um, but uh, basically, she's smashed together with that character. The Valkyrie in Marvel, at least are not necessarily, you know, the host. Sometimes you get the Valkyrie host, which is basically, she's the leader, so it's her group. That's what they mean by it. Um, And she showed up in the 70s uh, and is now part of the Secret Avengers. But here's what I really want to talk about, because here's the other Valkyrie. And this is Thor. This is the third version of Thor going on right now. So... Valkyrie is when Thor decides to lose his mind or gets overwhelmed in some capacity. He sho- she shows up, and it basically leads to what I like, uh, like to call a team-up of one, because it's in the comics, Thor thinks he's fighting with somebody, but really he's just wrecking shop and talking to himself the whole time. Um, this one actually shows up a lot with Loki's antics, um, but it is considered also kind of a gender-swapped uh, Thor as well um, but leading into that uh, let's talk a little bit about Loki Loki is chaotic evil god sometimes just selfish sometimes just out for for himself right he's a trickster trickster who takes it a little too far most of the time most of the stories about him are not good stories they're stories about him making Odin mad and, ma- and Odin trying to kill him so he has to go off and solve his own problems that he got into. Um, He is not the lovable rogue trickster that we all kind of think of him as being. He is more of a malicious kind of uh, being. Um, And most famously, you know, engineered the death of Balder, known for fathering most of the beasts who will begin Ragnarok. Also, um, is the cause of earthquakes. You know, that whole story about when he killed uh, Balder he actually got tied up underground, and now the poison, when it drips into his face, causes the mountains to shake. That's where he is currently, until Ragnarok shows up, but MCU, this is not, right? In DC, he doesn't show up often. The Norse gods don't show up that often in DC because they are forces of nature, but in DC, he shows up more as a demon, more as a kind of shadow ninja kind of style, and you can see they kind of lifted wholeheartedly from the MCU, because Loki wasn't originally associated with those gold horns, and now he just shows up everywhere with those gold horns. Um, he's not as frequently seen, but he always seems to be lurking in the background when they're talking, right? And then, of course, one of our favorites, Marvel's, Lo- Marvel's Loki is, in, a, in one word, um, fabulous. He is... Bombastic. He is huge. Everywhere he goes, he's you know always strutting around with. He's he's the Disney villain, right? And in fact, um, a lot of people um, actually say that he is one of the inspirations for things like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, right? Um, unlike Thor, he doesn't need an alter ego, so no you know skinny little scientist. He's just Loki. He shows up. He might. Mu- he might transform himself a little bit, but um, he's generally just Loki. He shows up two issues after Thor shows up, right? Because they're like, all right, he fought a bunch of like random soldiers. What do we do now? Well, we give him an antagonist, right? And you can kind of tell that Loki is not a subtle character for the most part. Um, he's beaten, but he's very powerful. He's able to do that. He's uh, beaten most of the Avengers. Um, if you go back to that uh, previous slide, you'll see he's wearing Doctor Strange's cape when he got a hold of it at one point. Uh, he's mostly unkillable; been destroyed a couple of times. He he's gotten the he's gotten you know somebody um, to kill him a couple of times, but it doesn't happen very often. You might have noticed that from the MCU again. Like he just it's very hard to kill Loki. Loki does not die very easily. And then of course. Do, it doesn't really have a particular weapon. Uh, mostly uses sorcery. Has shown up with things like the Lance of Longinus or different things like that. But in general, he's just using whatever's on hand. He has used Mjolnir, though he does qualify. Um, so, and you'll notice from our original version here, he doesn't really look like a middle-aged man anymore. He's morphing into Tom Hiddleston. But Loki currently um, has two paths. One, he shapeshifts. And he actually, he actually gender swaps, which was really interesting. One of the main plots that he's had in recent years has been um, him turning himself into a woman and then um, taking over for the Scarlet Witch and tricking everyone into following him and taking over the universe. And then he's destroyed by the void of the universe because he can't take over all of the universe. Um, but the other one of course is Tom Hiddleston (laughs) Um, a lot of Marvel comics have started getting in line with the MCU now Um, so Loki's become younger Um, he's become more of a rogue character where you know chaotic good chaotic neutral not really chaotic evil all the time he's not just out to blow everything up because he wants to Um, now he's you know, self-serving, but yeah, he'll, he'll help out if he needs to. But you can see, just even in the way they draw his face, he's not necessarily the evil, bombastic character that we had from the 60s and 70s, right? Then let's move on a little bit. Talk about Odin. We're going to just talk real briefly about Odin and Freya, and we'll move on then. But um, Odin, for those of you who don't know, father of the gods, leader Obsessed with the secrets of the universe, right? He's called Odin One-Eye because he sacrifices his uh, one of his eyes to actually understand the secrets of the universe, right? It's one of the it's one of his defining traits. He's the god of wisdom, power, strength, death. One of these things is not like the other. But he's also, uh, you know, he he resides over Valhalla. All the old, sl- all the greatest heroes and slain, you know, soldiers who die in glory go to Valhalla, right? Uh, that's who we're talking about. Odin in DC and Marvel are, is basically the same character. He's an endgame character, meaning he's a lot like Thanos in the MCU, for those of you who are trying to compare things. He doesn't move a lot, but when he does, things happen, right? We spent six, six or seven movies there, waiting for him to get off his chair for, waiting for Thanos to get off his chair and once he actually did that's when Infinity War and Endgame happened right? Odin's a lot, a lot the same way. He doesn't do much. He might serve as counsel. he might serve as a reference point but if he goes to war you get out of the way uh, for both characters um, uh, so he's much more a background Endgame character. It's not really something you run into a whole lot And you can see they kind of become the same character because one of these is from DC and one of these is from Marvel and they're basically drawn almost exactly the same way. You know, um, and this one, he doesn't have a helmet, but he does have a helmet. Uh, He's just not wearing it there. Um, But they're basically the same character versus uh, Freya, who Freya is one of those goddesses that should be included in a lot of things but isn't included in a lot of things. Um, because you know she's all, all often uh, also construed with uh, Frigg, or Frigga, however you want to pronounce that. Um, Freya, Frigg um, is the wife of Odin, goddess of fertility, war, food, cats for some reason. Um, a lot of different, a lot of different things. Um, ruler of the Valkyager, uh, who which is the place you go if say you die in bed instead of battle, or you die of sickness. You, you didn't do anything wrong, you just didn't die in glory. So, um, you go to Fult Fultenbag- Wagner um, for people who don't die in shame. In DC, she's a nagging housewife. Yes, most powerful, one of the most powerful goddesses in the entire pantheon. She's reduced to almost nothing. She shows up like twice. And this is one of the only times you can actually find any information on her in DC. Where she's just the nagging housewife and German for some reason. I don't know why, but she's German for some reason. That goes back to the mixing of cultures. Um, Frey and Marvel, again, you don't see her very often. And really, she's kind of smashed together with three other characters. She's smashed together with Valkyrie, she's smashed together with um, Brunhilde, she's smashed together with um, Sif. So she's not always her own entity. A lot of times she's part of the Warrior 3 for some reason. Um, They don't really do much with her, unfortunately. Um, But uh, she is kind of an amalgamation of those characters. And they've taken all of those characters and smashed them into one. So they all have different aspects depending on which story you need. So we do have other gods mentioned. But mostly they're antagonists. Everybody remembers Hela. Her real name is Hell with a single L, -L, H-E-L, ruler of the underworld. We talk about Tyr, uh, we talk about Volstagg, but these are mostly antagonists for um, our heroes, right? And our heroes are Thor and Odin and the Avengers and whoever else, right? We're not talking about anybody besides the, you know, gung-ho heroes here, but um, these guys... And for those of you who don't know uh, Volstagg here, um, he actually did show up in the MCU again. He was the red-haired haired guy with the big axe. One of the Warriors Three, one of the followers of uh, Thor, um, is actually an antagonist in his own right. A lot of times he's up behind betrayals and different things like that. Um, just something to note. And then I want to talk about this because this is interesting to me. Angela, the Queen of Hell, or Angel, however you want to say it, um, basically is a creation by Todd McFarlane of Spawn fame. shows up in Spawn. She was bought and is now included in the pantheon of the Norse mythology. And you can kind of see um, we needed a bit of an update, so, uh, because whatever that is is uh, just a mess. So um, we did get a bit of an update. She has replaced... Uh, Hela as the Queen of Hell, and Hela now also got transformed a little bit. You know, she's not Loki's daughter who's been banished to to Helheim. She is Loki's sister, or Thor's sister, according to the MCU now, Um, and according to most Marvel resources now. They're just uh, that way. But Angela basically was a separate property, much like Wonder Woman is in uh, DC. They were bought out later and uh, included... Uh, There, she's also plagued by controversy because this is an unedited screenshot, by the way. This is an unedited panel. I didn't edit any of this. Um, This was edited by the author. The author made the same mistake as the Thor author, where she started calling out her uh, critics in story. So something of note, if you're ever writing a comic, ignore your critics or address them outside the comic. Because otherwise, uh, these kind of blow up. Um, This actually got memed by the community for like six months, maybe a year uh, before it died down. This would have disappeared in like a couple of weeks if they hadn't done this. But, talk about the mix-up. Some of you may recognize some of these characters from Bleach and Gundam and everything else, but the mix-up is one of my favorite parts of this because they're everything. So you may have, you know, someone named Valkyrie, but actually has a lot of German myth about him or you might have Balder somehow you know part of a JRPG same with the same that's that's Loki by the way Um, you know Loki might become an assassin in um, a Korean model Wagner turns into a robot they just take these things and do what what they want with them Uh, Loki becomes a detective uh, Freya falls in love with Hercules. You know, Odin might become a tech wizard who's obsessed with logging everyone's, everyone's secrets under himself. And, of course, you might just get something just straight up, I am Gerard Valkyrie. <laughs> um, you have things like Attack on Titan with Ymir um, or a variety of others uh, like Saint Seiya or any other type of series. And here's just a few of them that I've found that's taken either ideas, names, whatever, and mixed them into the story. Maybe they're blatant, maybe they're not. Sometimes you have uh, something like Oh My Goddess, where they just named a world computer Yggdrasil, after the world tree. Sometimes you have something like Berserk, where they use Nordic runes, they have a lot of similarities between the stories from, like, the poetic Edda. But or the characters from the uh, Prosetta, but they never name them that way. Um, you know, you have Gundam, where they, you know, giant mech suits get named after things. You do have uh, actual gods show up in things like Sandman, or you might just have something ridiculous like Attack on Titan, where they're talking about the Jotun and everything else, um, only they're not called that, right? They're called Titans. Um, so... DC and Marvel did get in on this because DC and Marvel uh, and other comic publishers do a kind of wave system where Marvel and DC influences the industry. And the industry then takes that idea and moves it in a certain direction and then DC and Marvel copy that idea. So it goes kind of back and forth between them, right? Um, So this is the result of uh, Marvel and DC getting bored with their standard myths and then starting to mix things up and watching... Um, people other people do this Uh, so uh, DC and Marvel started doing crossover pantheons Uh, Norse and Greek were the most common which I was able to find Um, you've got uh, Hercules and Odin mixing together and you've got or you know Thorion the hunter which is Orion and Thor Um, Odin and Thor are are very susceptible to this because Loki for some reason has since he's more antagonistic he doesn't always qualify for those mix ups because, in, unless you're mixing it with the devil, he has appeared as the devil about a thousand times at this point. Notice the giant golden horns that always show up with him. Um, but one thing to notice, and so, when you're reading yourself, look for Nordic runes. Because oftentimes, Nordic runes will, are a sign that they've pulled it from some sort of Norse myth it just so happens they may not be addressing it that way. So if you look for it, a lot of times you'll find similarities between characters and the stories. Um, And some of you may recognize the Berserk brand there, but um, that's one of the reasons why you include that, because they have taken elements of those stories, they've just named them differently. But if you look at the parallels between them, you can find a lot of similarities between the storytelling. I mentioned Jotun, so we're going to talk about monsters a little bit. We're not going to talk about all the monsters here because, let's face it, we'd be here all day. Um, and quite frankly, a lot of monsters don't show up very often. Fenrir, for, for instance, the giant wolf, doesn't show up very often. However, Jormungur does. Jormungur, Jormungand, however you want to say it. Um, Jormungand is the world serpent destined to kill Thor, consume the world. He's actually Loki's... Uh, son, daughter, something like that. I'm unclear. Uh, but basically they throw him in the ocean, he grows large enough, he wraps around the world. He's currently biting his tail. When he, un- when he unhinges his jaw that's when Ragnarok starts. Right? Because of that, because of how he's presented that way, he has become a representation of the start of every apocalypse. Right? It's, it's a very common thing. So monger in comics turns into two different things you either have super weapons or you have the literal serpent so and don't think about that too hard that loki's writing the world serpent that doesn't make any sense but uh that's what we've got we've got to work with it um but basically loki can summon him or you can get things like jormungand which actually is probably the best way to kind of tell you how they use metaphors for Jormunger, uh, because Jormungand, and that is a translation error, um, but it's, it's Jormunger, it's Jormungand, however you want to say it. Um, but basically, Jormunger, because the legend says like he's very jealous of the sky, he's very jealous of the Norse gods that can fly through the air and all this other stuff, um, so in Jormungand, Jormungand is actually a satellite system designed to, like, destroy all aircraft in the world or whatever. But um, because of that, they name it Jormunger because it circles the world um, and ends our age of flight, basically, right? And, you know, you get this little quote that I absolutely love that, it, you know, it swallowed the earth blocking the light of the sun and the stars. Uh, now they've given in the sky what will happen, right? Um, but it becomes this metaphor a lot of times. Um, let's talk a little bit about giants. Um, Ice and other Jotun. Um, Jotun are villains in comics, always. Except in very rare cases where you find like a single entity that doesn't want to be a villain anymore. Um, however, something interesting to note, they're only frost giants now. Jotun just means giant. So that means any giant. Right, frost giants, fire giants, beast giants, whatever you want. Um, because Marvel start, Marvel started this. Um, they started calling fire fire and beast giants demons or just plain monsters. Right, so you go from ice giants, which are the official Jotun, uh, to beast giants, and you can kind of tell like things like fire giants kind of take on those demonic properties. Right. Uh, but they've been kind of pushed into this demon role instead, um, and then others kind of followed suit afterwards. Remember that wave thing I was talking about? That's what happened. Marvel did something, DC did something, then everybody else did something, then it comes back and kind of comes and goes in, in waves, and they live in their own realm, of course. Um, and then Trolls, Jotun, and mo- other monsters, and that's kind of a redundant chunk there because... Trolls, in a lot of these uh, aspects, trolls mean just monster, just mean inhuman. So technically, Jotun are also trolls. And Vampires are trolls, and zombies are trolls, and everything It just meant uh, inhuman. Now, we kind of understand that trolls are this way, right? But a lot of times, trolls have started taking on other aspects, right? You know, and you can kind of see, uh, between like the classic... Here, um, that's Thor down there, he's little tiny, tiny boy. Uh, but you can see how things start copying one another um, from there. And basically, you have this twisting of um, original literature being just a normal person, more or less, just big, versus this, you know, in ever-increasing monster versions of these creatures, right? They've twisted into a certain type of thing, right? They always take on these aspects now. Um, so, modern day sensibilities. Modern day from the original myth, got the modern day myths of these uh, have morphed. Comics are one of the bi- biggest reasons why, right? Thor, Loki, and Odin have been so influenced by their comic counterparts that it's actually difficult for a lot of people to understand. That these characters weren't originally this way and even if you're not aware of where those particular aspects came from from Norse myth everybody assumes it before you read the myths right think it for anybody who's in here who's already read the Prosetta or Poetic Edda or something like that um, for those of you who have read it you had a certain perception even before you got in right even if you didn't know where it came from it came from comics more than any other medium, right? Um, and, you know, comic the, their counter, counter, yeah, comic counterparts, there we go. Um, basically, all representation of these characters reflects comics' traits and behaviors. Um, monsters, still open to a little bit more interpretations. Giants are a notable exception. Fire giants, demons, beast giants, just giant, crazy monsters. Uh, but trolls still can mean kind of anything, right? Um, because, and I just like to sit here and say this is a troll, officially. This is written by a um, Swedish author called uh, Stay Silent, Stay, si- stay Still, say, Stay Silent, right? Um, and her trolls are very much not your normal mythos of trolls. Uh, and then for those of you who remember uh, Suter from. I'm willing to bet that everyone in here thought that that was a demon. Just, just a random, you know, fire demon, right? But that's actually Jotun, officially, in the official mythos. But nowadays he's just a demon, right? And it just goes to show you where we are as a modern, you know, pop culture society. And so let's wrap this up, because I'm pretty sure I've kept you for uh, quite a bit. Um, so um, the, so in conclusion, our interpretation of, our interpretation of Norse mythology uh, has changed from its original version. Marvel and DC um, and other comic publishers are responsible for this. Uh, Stan Lee himself and Jack Kirby um, basically changed a mythos and how we understand a mythos. Um, and then... Um, of course, our views of the myths are more influenced by comics rather than any other medium, right? Even if we don't know where that comes from, we all have an image of certain things. If I tell you that Thor, to think of Thor, you think of probably the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, guy that flies through the sky, right? You don't think of the red-headed, red-bearded guy in a chariot pulled by goats. So our influences have actually been influenced more by the comics than almost anything else. So our vision of those um, and the visions of the myths, you know, comics are tend to be a little bit more than what we think about, right? So a couple of things to think about. Uh, you know, how have your perceptions been changed by comics and Norse myth, you know? And then is it... Is there a particular way that comics have changed your perception of Norse myths and North, Norse gods? And it's just something to think about as you find this information out in the world. Just think about how your interpretations of these myths and legends have been affected. Because it's, a, it's an interesting topic and I just want you guys to pull that along with yourself. Uh, out into the regular world. Do we have any questions?